Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages. This week we continue our four-part series entitled The First Family's Christmas. Life Lessons from the First Christmas. And today's message is from our pastor of maturity, Stan Lubeck, entitled Joseph, a Common Man, Uncommon Purpose. We're going to take a solid look this morning at the life of a man named Joseph, a common man, I think a man that all of us can relate to, you know, uh, it's been said that God loves common people. That's why he made so many of us. I mean, that's the way it is. And yet I believe that many of us, especially as common believers, we get discouraged. We fail to see that God can use us in an uncommon fashion. And if you and I were to go back at the time when Jesus was born and without knowing all that took place, tried to identify, tried to pick out who would be chosen by God to be the earthly father of Jesus, I don't think we could have done it. Because outwardly, Joseph was simply a common Jewish man. But God chose him to do an unbelievable thing, to have an unbelievable, uncommon purpose for his life. And I believe that many believers today are stuck to where they think, I'm just a common person. What difference can I make in this world? We get discouraged. We get disillusioned. We lower the bar. And so today, we're going to talk about that. And I I trust that you'll allow God's Spirit to speak to your heart, to understand that when, when God wants to use somebody, when He chooses somebody, He's looking for the aspect of character. And we're going to unpack that. We're going to take a look at that this morning. So, first of all, there's notes in your, in your uh, bulletins. I want to encourage you to pull those out. and You can follow right along with us. You know, this is the third in a, uh, a series on the first family's Christmas. The first week, Brent March came up here and had a great fireside ch- chat. Remember that? And, and then he closed with a beautiful song that he sang. And so, you know, Dave Cox honored him. Uh, first of all, of course, Brent talked about the the uh, um, the shepherds and how they were just uh, ordinary people, but God did something extraordinary through them. And then Dave Cox came up here and had some more barking dogs and all that, you know, and and uh, brought us a great message on Joseph and Mary and and how we can learn from them when God messes with our plans. And so, you know, since Dave copied the fireside chat, I thought I would copy Brent's singing at the end. So if I have enough time. You better pray that I go a little long. Okay. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to begin with verse 18. We're going to read through verse 25. And as we read, I want to highlight some qualities of Joseph's life. Let's read together in verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before he, they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to see the quality of character in Joseph's life. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. It's almost an afterthought. It's like, well, it's obvious, of course, Joseph was a righteous man. Who else? would be chosen to go through what Joseph is going to go through here. A righteous man. You might underline that. And then we see his compassion because here Joseph, a righteous man, it says he did not want to expose her, Mary, to public disgrace. Do you see that compassion? See, he was a righteous man, but he wasn't self-righteous. He wasn't legalistic. He wasn't brutal in his belief system. And then it goes on. He says, he had in mind, underline that, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You see, that's compassion. And then we see concern in his life as it goes on. It says, but after he had considered this, you see, he didn't rush to judgment. He considered, he pondered, he thought about the consequences of what was taking place. So we see concern in his life. So after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. 
Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Well, I want to set the stage here uh, for today's message with a a film clip. It's about a common man who had an uncommon impact on his community. Some of you can relate to this guy. I think it's, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite movies because it really is a common man who had a hard time seeing the impact that he was having on his community. In fact, the setting is a, a, a real dark, bittersweet, post-war uh, tale of a savings and loan manager who's fighting with a guy named Henry Potter. Not Harry Potter. I mean, come on. But Henry Potter. And he gets discouraged. He feels like giving up. He wants to even commit suicide. He had given up all of his childhood dreams to travel, but he was a man of character and he continued to do the right thing. But he had no concept of the unbelievable impact that he had on his community. And I believe that many Christians are right there. They get discouraged disillusioned they want to give up and they have no idea of the rippling impact that they are having and how others are blessed because of their character so let's watch this video clip it's towards the end it's kind of the fun part of the movie but uh but there's a tag light line at the end that i want us to pay attention to and don't move don't move what's happening wow. oh my god i'm coming out george it's a miracle it's a miracle Who's gonna come, Daddy? Come, Daddy! Come in, Uncle Billy! Everybody! Come in here! George! Yeah, brother, come on! 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 Come Mary did it, George. Mary did it. She told some people you were in trouble with it. They scattered all over town collecting money. Didn't ask any questions. Just said, George, in trouble. And tell me you didn't Now get this, it's from London. Oh. Mr. Gower cabled you need cash, stop. My office instructed to advance you up to $25,000, stop. Oh. Hee-haw and Merry Christmas, Sam Wainwright.
wizard. Harry, now about your banquet to New York. Oh, I left right in the middle of it. As soon as I got Mary's telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast. <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. <laughs> So, in this movie, George Bailey goes from wanting to commit suicide because he's at the point of bankruptcy. He feels that he's got nothing to offer anybody. And then it transitions to this scene where it said, George Bailey, the richest man in town. What was he rich in? Character. Rich in friends. Rich in the things that count. You know, and I think of church. I mean, that's, that's the way church ought to be, is that we're here to help each other, to care for each other, to minister to each other's needs. So this morning, we're going to talk about Joseph, a common man who had an uncommon impact in his world. And so we're going to cruise fairly quickly here at the beginning, so sharpen your pencils here. But, you know, if I was God and I was choosing to place my son in, in a community... I'm, I think I would probably think about secondary issues. I would look down the list of which are the safest cities in the United States. You know, number one is Newton, Massachusetts. But I'd say, yeah, that's kind of cold. I'm not sure. Maybe a, a town in California. You know, go down the list. Number seven, Thousand Oaks. Well, it's kind of expensive to live there. I'm not sure I could afford You know, and then I cruise on 22, the perfect spot, Simi Valley, you know. <laughs> Most of you probably weren't thinking that, were you? <laughs> But you see, I would be thinking about gated communities. I would, I would send, you know, Gabriel the archangel ahead of time to, to scour out the land and look for anybody with the last name of Hussein or, or Oswald or Hinckley or, or, uh, any of those other wild terrorist character types. Cause I'd want my son to be safe. I mean, I would hire camels, ca- you know, uh, drug sniffing camels to go through and check everybody's baggage. I would do everything to make sure my son was safe. God being all-knowing, all-powerful, he could have done that. But he didn't do any of that, did he? He chose to place his precious child in the hands of a common man named Joseph, a man of character. You see, God knows that character is what counts, not all the extra secondary things. And when God wants to do something in you and I, it always boils down to character. Can he trust us with His special assignment. And God has a special assignment for everyone in this room. None of us are add-ons, tack-ons, afterthoughts in the heart of God. God made you and I for a reason. And only you and I can choose to fulfill that. Well, the first thing I want to highlight, you know, my my wife and I, uh, well, before I I go into the first point, I, I remember my wife and I writing a will. You ever written a will? And I had to figure out who would have the blessing of receiving my perfect children. <laughs> You're supposed to laugh at that one. <laughs> um, but you see, what did my wife and I look at? Honestly, we had three different people that we chose over the years. And, uh, and it all had to do with real spiritual maturity. You know, we wanted people that we knew, we trusted, we believed in, that had godly character. And uh, uh, one of those couples weren't even a family member. You know, we thought, oh, this might make some noise, you know, in our family. But we felt like at that time, this would be the best couple for our kids if, if my wife and I had an untimely demise. Well, God the Father, you know, is thinking the same thing as he sends Jesus, this little baby, into this, into this womb and then into this manger. And he chose Joseph and Mary. And so let's look at this. First of all, you and I need to be aware. Be aware. Pay attention, be aware of the fact that God specializes in using common people. He specializes in it. He has it down. And so we look at Joseph. How common was this guy? First of all, he was common in his career. There was no flamboyance in being a carpenter. In today's society, we would describe him as basically a construction worker. Any construction workers in here? Praise the Lord. Okay, we need things built well. But he was just a common construction worker of the day secondly he was common in his currency in other words he didn't have much he had no fortune he wasn't rich he could not afford a horse for mary to ride on he had to settle for a donkey 
Too poor when it came to give a sacrifice for Mary's purification. They could not afford a lamb. And knowing that Jesus was the Son of God, you know that Mary and Joseph would want would to have had the best sacrifice, but they didn't have enough money to buy a lamb, so they had two turtle doves. They were poor. If, G, if, if Joseph had money, certainly he would have found a place at the inn, but he had to settle for only a cattle stall. Well, Joseph was common in his community. He had no favor when they came into Bethlehem. He never appeared in the Jerusalem times. Joseph was just another unremarkable Jew, migrating back to his hometown for the census. Then also, he was common in his control or lack thereof. He, he didn't really have control. He had no force. He wasn't a government leader. He wasn't a, a priest or a rabbi that could pull some strings and, and find a place to stay. He was just a common man coming to Bethlehem. Have you ever felt like I have, like me, little and insignificant in a world of six billion people? What impact can I have? Well, that's the good news about this story is that God chooses common people for uncommon assignments. The Bible's full of common people. Think about Moses. Moses said, who am I? I stutter. I can't even talk right. Moses was a murderer. And yet God chose to use him. Think about Ruth, a common peasant girl, just searching for food and security. And God used her in an unbelievable way. How about David, a common shepherd boy? Even his dad didn't even think he had anything special going for him. Even his dad thought all of his other brothers were certainly more, more qualified to be anointed by the prophet. But God saw David's heart. He was a man after God's own heart. How about Elijah? You know, James describes Elijah this way. It says that Elijah was a man just like us, common. But this common man God used to run off 850 of those false prophets. But still, Elijah was so common that one woman, Jezebel, scared him to death. Pretty common, huh? Do I hear an amen from the women here? You know, okay, all right. Okay. How about Amos? The prophet Amos. You know what his job was? You know what his career was? He was a sheep herder and a fig plucker. That's pretty common, isn't it? But God used him as a prophet. He's got a book in the Bible. You see, we all have this common temptation that God cannot use us. I think that's why God chose the, the disciples. How does the book of Acts describe the, the disciples? It says that these unschooled and what? Ordinary men. You see, Jesus chose a ragtag group of guys to use in fact let's put it this way if you know when these guys were in high school they would not have been selected as most likely to succeed and yet god took these common men and the bible says turn the world upside down i like to say upside right because it's already upside down but we have this common temptation to think god cannot use me i don't really matter what difference can i make anyway we're the george bailey's of this world we get disillusioned. We get discouraged. We want to give up. We say there's no hope. And I want to say to you, God specializes in using people like you. Right where you are. Right where you work. Right in your home. Even with your in-laws. Even with your outlaws. You know, God wants to use you to be a light. So don't underestimate what God can do through you. Turn with me in your Bibles. Keep your finger there in Matthew chapter 1 because we're going to come back to that. But, but turn quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. I want you to see why God specializes in using common people. Beginning with verse 26. Brothers, see, he's talking to these believers. He says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Before God did a great work in your life, remember where you came from. Not many of you were wise. Well, that's a real compliment, you know. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. How about that for a compliment? Hey, listen, brothers and sisters. God chose the foolish things, you of this world, to do a great work. Why? To shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that, now here's the catch right here. So that no one may boast before him. You see, when we think we're hot stuff and somehow God is lucky to have us, you see, that's pride. God can't use a prideful person. And so when we come to him and say, Lord, I'm just a common person, but I'm asking you to fill me and to make me the person that you want me to be so that you can use me in an uncommon fashion, God says, great, let's go. And then you see, when something great happens, we don't say, hey, look at how, what we did. I mean, that's why I love it to be able to say, you know, people looking at our church, they have to say, wow, that must be God doing that because those people just aren't that sharp. Okay, turn with me back to Matthew chapter 1. Joseph was a common man with an uncommon purpose. He was chosen to be the earthly father, the savior of the world. So secondly, we need to be alert. Not only be aware of of the fact that God uses common people, but you need to be alert that God has an uncommon purpose for you. God has an uncommon purpose for you. God had an uncommon purpose for Joseph, but God also has an uncommon purpose for you. Only one man on this planet could be the earthly father of Jesus. Joseph was being entrusted with the greatest gift mankind had ever received. Think about that. Joseph had the privilege to be able to watch Jesus being born. To see him grow as a young man. To to be able to provide for him clothing and housing and shelter and food. And the marvel of marvels. To have God come and live in his house. Emmanuel, amazing. Look at verse 22. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. God living in Joseph's household you see god is still looking for people like joseph god is still looking for people like george bailey who are willing to allow their character to have a rippling impact as god changes us we're able to be a blessing to others so you see there's nothing more fulfilling in life than to understand that God wants to live in and through us. You know, when I see people that come to Christ and, and they begin to serve and they begin to see God change them, I just love it when the light comes on and they come and they say, Pastor Stan, man, it, God used me. God used me to make a difference in a child's life. God used me to make a difference so that people weren't having accidents out in the parking lot. God, it was a miracle. God used me. Isn't that what life is about? is to understand that as God changes me, I'm able to help others, be a blessing, be a part of God's uncommon purpose. And so, not only should you be aware that God specializes in using common people, that God has an uncommon purpose for you, but thirdly and most importantly, you and I need to be prepared. Be prepared. Because you see, God chooses and uses common people with Proven character. Highlight that. Proven character. You see, God didn't come down to Joseph and say, Well, Joseph, I know you've been a low life all your life, and I know you've messed around, and I know you've caroused, and I know you've been a, a, a jerk to your wife, you know, your, your future wife, and so I'm going to change you in an instant. No way. Joseph was a man of character. So read this passage with me. Appreciate this, the fact that God chose him because of his proven track record. He was a godly man first and God chose to use him and to take him to a whole other level of what it meant to be a righteous man. But you see, when God has an assignment for you and I, it all boils down to this, character. Proven character. Look at verse 19. As we've seen, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Look at this, underline 
he had in mind. Underline that. He had in mind. This means that here he is, a righteous man, and he's wrestling with what to do with Mary. He had in mind. This had in mind means that it was a process of deliberation, planned, intended, resolved, trying to figure this out. How can I be a righteous man and yet deal with what I'm faced with with Mary? And then it says, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, you see, a righteous man considers the circumstances. You should underline that. He considered this. This speaks of hard thinking. It means that he molded over. He pondered it. And, and then an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Joseph. The term in the Old Testament for a righteous man like Joseph is the term Sadiq. Can you turn to the person next to you and just say that word, Sadiq? Doesn't that sound significant? I mean, you just spoke some Hebrew there. Well, Joseph, being a righteous man, being a Sadiq, if you were a Sadiq, that meant that you were serious about following the Torah. You wanted to obey every jot and tittle of what God had for your life. You didn't eat the wrong kinds of food. You didn't go to the wrong places. You didn't hang out with, with the wrong people. You would never have a friend invite you over for a ham sandwich with prostitutes and tax collectors. He was a Sadiq. He was a man that was serious about doing the right thing, walking the straight and narrow, doing whatever pleased God. But here he is, a Sadiq with a problem. I mean, we look at this from our perspective, but think about what it was like for him, a man who had consistently sought to do the right thing. And here he's engaged to be married to this woman, Mary. Now, Mary could have been as, as young as 13 years old. Maybe 16, something like that. They probably didn't know each other super well because their families arranged the marriage. And so here's this young lady who has just been with her cousin, Elizabeth. She comes back and she says, Hey, Joseph, I have some bad news and some good news. The bad news is I'm pregnant and it's not yours. But the good news is, you know, it's of God. And this angel came and talked to me and I'm going to have this miracle baby and, and uh, it's an amazing thing. It's part of prophecy. And, you know, can you imagine Joseph looking at her? And she gets even more excited. She says, you know, throughout history, at the end of football games, when quarterbacks are desperate and they throw a pass, they're going to be named after me. No, I, she didn't say that. The angel said, hail Mary, full of grace. You can think of that, let that simmer for a little bit there. But you see, any man would say, this is nuts. Can you understand why Joseph pondered? Why he had it in mind? Why he was concerned? You see, he cared about Mary. He didn't want to just uh, embarrass her. He knew that Deuteronomy 22 says that if a woman is pregnant outside of marriage, that she's deserving of being stoned. But Joseph, being a righteous man, is torn. I want to please God, but I don't want to harm Mary. And it doesn't tell us how long Joseph had to wait, but it said that after Joseph pondered and wrestled with and and thought through this whole thing, then an angel showed up. You ever felt like Joseph? It's like, well, why didn't you send the angel to me sooner? Why did I have to wrestle and sweat and go through this whole detail? Well, here's the thing. Yes, Joseph was a godly man, but I believe God wanted to take him to a whole nother level of righteousness. A whole nother level of having to wait upon God. Like one of our elders said the other night, you know, uh, God has only, I think he was quoting his wife, God only has one time on the clock. It's 11.59. You know, why is that? Well, God is more concerned with our character than He is with our circumstances. He wants us to learn to trust Him and He will organize circumstances in such a way that you and I are forced to look to Him. Why? Because our character is more important to Him than our comfort. We don't like hearing that, do we? We don't like going through the seminary of suffering. Any of you been there? Where you have to look to the Lord. Well, see, God is deepening your character. God is developing you if you allow him to. Of course, you could take the escape route towards bitterness, and lots of people do that. Or you can say, God, develop character in my life. Teach me to be long-suffering, to not give up. 
That's the kind of man that Joseph was. God knew that going in, or, or Joseph would never have been, been able to handle the circumstances that were put in front of him. Okay, well, let's move along. Let, I want to highlight just a couple of things about character here. First of all, your character and intimacy with others are connected. Your character and intimacy with others are connected. I had a friend graduated from high school with. He went to uh, Stanford University. I should have questioned his character whenever he did that. Uh, I went to Berkeley, and he probably really should have questioned my character for doing that. But I remember several years uh, after, you know, we graduated and I was doing my thing, he called up and wanted to come see me. And I thought he wanted to come see me just because of our friendship. He showed up, and guess what? He wanted to sell me on a business deal. Well, you know, I, I should have, you know, I, I, it's just the whole character thing. You know, he should have told me up front. That's why he was coming over. And so that just caused some distance, you see, because of that lack of character kind of turning a, a, a throwing me a curve. I just remember, yeah, this guy, you know, I'm not excited about seeing him as much as I was before. Some of you saw Narnia the other night, uh, this week. Any of you seen Narnia? Isn't that a great movie? You see it in Edmund when he becomes, uh, when he becomes, um, um, what's the word? Um, I can't even think of the word. When he came to the point where he decided he wanted to be king. And so he says, oh yeah, Lucy, she was just making it up. And you see him began to float back towards the door. You see distance. Or he began to walk off from the rest of his siblings. That's the way it is. When we have lack of character, it creates space distance in relationships and so character will determine the trajectory of every relationship up or down solid character produces solid long-term relationships people lacking in character rarely keep a friend for long but also your character will determine whether you are worth knowing could you imagine your mother saying oh yeah go hang out with that kid that lies and steals and cheats and you know does all those crummy things no way You see, when you're a man of character, people want to hang around you because they know they're better people for hanging around you. Proven character and intimacy with God are also integrally connected. Proven character and intimacy with God are connected. I want to talk about this a little bit further. There was a guy named Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane. He was the chief surgeon at Kane Summit Hospital in New York City. And he had this theory that it was better to have local anesthesia than it would be to be operated on under general anesthesia where you were totally out. So in order to prove his point, he decided that he would conduct surgery on himself and take his appendix out under local anesthesia. This was in the year 1921. (laughs) And he did it. Could you imagine? Hmm, well, let me see here. And sure enough, he proved that recovery was faster and and, uh, healing. It was a breakthrough in modern medicine. I'm going to invite you this morning to do a little operation, spiritual operation, not physical, but spiritual. To take the time to think, am I a man, a woman of character? You see, because character and intimacy with God are connected. Sometimes we say, you know, I'm just having a hard time connecting with God. Well, it could be because we're not men and women of character. They go together. And I'm going to ask you to take the Word of God. You know, Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of, of joint and marrow, Judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So I'm going to ask you to take the scalpel, the germ-free scalpel of God's Word, and to let it penetrate. Let God cut below the... Let's, I want to evaluate a little bit where we are in this area of character. So it's exploratory surgery of the soul. You know, the other day as I was thinking about that, I was, I was jogging and I thought, you know, character, we need to talk about character. And I was, you know, feeling pretty good about myself. And then as I was jogging along right on the sidewalk, there were these two guys coming right down the sidewalk. They shouldn't have been riding their bikes on the sidewalk, but they had these white t-shirts, I mean, these white shirts on and they had ties on. And, and these are people that 
you know, I kind of struggle with because they preach a gospel that's not the gospel of Christ. And so as I'm jogging along, you know, I kind of move over on the sidewalk a little bit and the first guy goes by, good morning to you. You know, I grumble, you know, and then the next guy, oh, good to see you, you know, and I grumble, grumble. Well, just as I was, you know, upset with these two guys that were preaching a false gospel, I hit a crack in the sidewalk and I just went for a tumble. I'm telling you, my hand got scraped up. And of course, I got up real quick because I didn't want him to have to come back and try to help me. You know, I mean, this is really a bad thing. But what it did is it began to cause me to say, God, what's going on in my heart? Do I care about those two boys that they are lost and they don't have the truth? Am I praying for them for their salvation? Do I see them as the enemy or do I see them as victims of the enemy? What's going on? Am I, am I praying for them or am I just thinking somehow I'm better than them? Because the reality is I'm not better than them. I'm just better off. And the truth is always stronger than error. And you see, God needed to take me to another level. Character. Turn with me to Psalm 15. I want you to see this connection between character and intimacy with God. What a great person to learn this from. The writer of this psalm is David. David, the common man who was spending time with God in private with a bunch of sheep as God developed character in his life. That's what determined that he could be a man that God could use. But as David writes this, you're going to see that connection between character and intimacy with God. I appreciate what John Wooden Hall of Fame basketball coach said, he said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are. Your reputation is merely what others think you are. So let's read this, Psalm 15. It says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Literally, who may dwell in your tent? Who may come in and live with you? Who may live on your holy hill? Mount Zion, the temple where it's built. In other words, who can be in your presence, God? Intimate. And what does he say? He gives a list of character qualities. He says, he whose walk is blameless. He who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong. His neighbor no wrong. You know, I think about how Christian employees ought to be the best employees. Put in a good day's work. Bless their boss. And we ought to have Christian bosses who, yes, pay a a decent salary for a good day's work. Doesn't mean they give the store away because they've got to keep the business going. But it's honorable. It's righteous. Does the neighbor no wrong? Doesn't take advantage. And casts no slur on his fellow man. Who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord. Who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Even when it was, well, I didn't realize the consequence of what I promised. Well, so, got to deliver on what I promised. Who lends his money without usury. That means he's able to give without always thinking about what he's going to get back in return. And does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He, he who does these things, look at this, will never be shaken. What a great promise. Stability, strength, character. What character qualities, character qualities does God look for when He chooses to live with people? Well, the list here real quickly, if you're taking notes, I'm just gonna go down this. But let it penetrate your heart. First of all, their walk is blameless. A while back, we had somebody call the church and said, you know, there's a guy that ripped me off, you know, took $13,000 and didn't do the work on my house. I think he goes to your church. We need to help each other to be men and women of character. Common people doing the right thing. No one can blame us. Secondly, their walk, they they do what is right. That's what righteous means. Just simply do what's right. They tell the truth. Now that's an uncommon thing today. They don't gossip. They don't mistreat people. They're not rude. They side with those who are right. They don't just go with the popularity contest. They keep their word. Their word is their bond. If they say something, they deliver on it. If they promise something, they do it. They lend their money to those in need without interest. They understand the principle of, you know, there are times when, you know, I need to be generous and just give without always having to to get something back. And then they don't take advantage of people for financial gain. Character paved the way for Jesus to live in Joseph's home. Character paves the way to intimacy with God. 
So why is this topic so, so timely? Well, I'll tell you the truth. Here's the unvarnished truth. The reality is we have a character crisis in the land. Sociologist and researcher George Barna did research and he identified 131 different character qualities, attitudes, behaviors, values, and beliefs. And after doing all this research, here's what he concluded. He said, in aspects of lifestyle where Christians can have their greatest impact on the lives of non-Christians, there are no visible differences between the two segments. So we've got Christians that are saying, yeah, God, use me. But they cheat on their taxes just as much as anybody else. Yeah, God, use me but they're just as sorry of an employee as any other employee. God, use me! They rip off their employees, take advantage. In survey survey after survey, researchers find that the lifestyles of what's termed born-again Christians are virtually indistinguishable from those non-believers. The divorce rate among Christians is identical to non-believers. Christian teens are almost as sexually active as non-Christian teens. Pornography, materialism, gluttony, lust, covetousness, even disbelief are commonplace in many of our churches. That's why we've got to help each other to be men and women of character because there's a crisis of character in the land. It's what I call AIDS. Not the kind of AIDS you're thinking of, but acquired integrity deficiency syndrome. The good news is there's a small group of people who are godly that are seeking God with all their heart that that, uh, are totally different. They're nine times less likely to see pornography on the internet. They're twice as likely to help the poor. These are people who are seeking to honor God and be men and women of character. So there's hope. But that's what we're about as a church is not to beat each other up, to say, young men and women, let's help each other to be men and women that God can use of proven character. So the final thing I want to wrap it up with here is I want to talk about um, how we are all vulnerable. We need to beware. We are all vulnerable to the Trojan horse of character flaws. We are all vulnerable. We can all lower the bar. And that's why we need to fan into flame the passion to honor God in our lives. The other day, I showed up at my house and uh, uh, couldn't get on the Internet couldn't figure it out so i thought i know what i'm doing with this computer so i hit the reset button the reboot button the, you know uh, unplugged my router plugged it back in uh pushed in the reset button for 30 seconds i mean did all the things i need to do of course my 14 year old son says dad why don't you call tech support nah i don't need to do that i could figure it out myself i know what i'm doing finally i called tech support and uh, they said well we turned you off i said you turned us off why would you turn us off well uh, we found that your family computer is sending out spam to the entire world. You see, you had a Trojan horse that violated the integrity of your computer system. And unbeknownst to you, your, if you don't fix it, we are going to turn you off permanently. And they began to tell me, you know, that it was a Trojan horse. more like, and, and I went to my son, I said, hey, uh, son, do you know what... Uh, a Trojan horse is. He had no clue what a real Trojan horse knew, but what it was, but he knew that it was a virus. Same principle, you know, the original Trojan horse, Greeks were attacking Troy, and, and finally they, they decided this new tactic. They built this big wooden horse, and they put Odysseus and some other soldiers in the belly of the horse, and they left Sinon there. You know, Sinon was there and he, says he, he acted like he had been left and betrayed and deserted. And so he told uh, the people there in Troy, oh yeah, they left this as a trophy for you guys to acknowledge that, boy, you guys are the victors. So you see what it was, Trojan horse was something that looked good, that was destructive. So they pulled the horse, right, inside Troy. And then as they celebrated, fell asleep, got drunk, all those things. Then, the, then Sinon went over, opened up the, the belly of the horse, let the soldiers out. They opened up the gates. Greeks came floating back by on their ships and conquered Troy. Same principle, computer virus. Looks good. Oh, that's a free software out there on the Internet. I think, I think I'll download that. And with it comes a Trojan horse that causes destru- destruction. And the integrity of our system was violated. 
Well, there are Trojan horses for every one of us when it comes to character. When we say, I want to be a, a godly man or woman of character, how can we know when a Trojan horse of character flaw is entering in? I'm going to give you seven of them right now. The first one is this. The Trojan horse of, I've always been this way. You ever heard that? My father was this way, my family's this way, my heritage is this way. I have Irish background, so I'm angry. I have red hair, I'm blonde, I'm brunette, that's why I'm this. And what we're saying is, my problem is too big for God to fix. Trojan horse number two. Everybody else is doing it. I wasn't the only one. Everybody does their taxes like that. The guy past me was going faster. Lame excuses, that's all they are. We think that the more people that are sinning, the more tolerant God becomes, like as if God's grading on a curve. (laughs) Trojan horse number three. This is the one that I think plagues men more than any other. It's this one. I can handle it. It's called sin management. It's the guy that says, well, you know, I know where the edge is, and when I get there, I'll know when to stop. Boy. I don't need anybody else to give me perspective. I know. I'm strong. I can handle it. The Bible says pride goes before a fall. Watch out. Trojan horse number four, one time won't hurt. I'll just try it once. It's just one party. I usually don't do this, but one time won't hurt, you see, and enter in the character flaw. Trojan horse number five, nobody will know. What happens in Vegas? See, why do you know that? (laughs) See, it entered in. The virus is amongst us. This is the lie that infects businessmen who travel alone. It preys on teenagers when mom and dad are out of town. Nobody will know. It's the thinking that is limited, that it believes that... that, uh, uh, the worst price of sin is embarrassment of being found out. Trojan horse number six, but I'm in love. The toughest lies come packaged around our emotions. Feelings can become so strong that they overwhelm our thinking. Emotions are temporary. Consequences last a lifetime. The thinking, this thinking believes that emotion is more important than obedience, but the opposite is true. Obedience always leads to greater ability to love. Trojan horse number seven. Others are worse than me. I was speeding, but others were going faster than I was. I smoked pot, but I didn't inhale. You ever heard that? Okay. (laughs) What I did to rip off the company, you know, isn't anything compared to those big CEOs at Enron and WorldCom and Tyco. As if the scale of sin makes a difference with God. So let's wrap this up. You see, God desperately desires to use common people like you and I. But He can only use us when we begin to get serious about allowing Him to develop godly character in our lives. He can't entrust us with His purpose unless we are men and women of character who can be trusted. So where are you this morning? I I don't go through this list to make you feel beat up. I go through this list to say this is what our church is all about. It's us locking arms with each other and say, saying to one another, let's help each other to grow in godliness. That's why we have marriage conferences. That's why we have classes to help us learn to do our finances so that we know what we're doing. We're men and women of character. We need to be able to help each other. But unless we engage, unless we step forward, then we end up just looking good from afar and faking everybody out. And God can't use us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the fresh reminder of of how, Lord, not only are we blessed when we're men and women of character in terms of our relationships with one another, but, Lord, we begin to understand what it means to live a life that is intimate with you. And that, Lord, when you chose to to, to place your precious son on this earth in a home, you chose a man and woman of character, a man and woman who had proven themselves that they loved you and wanted to do what was right. Lord, may we be a church that is serious about this area.
that, Lord, when people look at our church, they say, wow, those people really love God. They love one another. They are like George Bailey, the richest man in town in terms of the things that count. Look at the rippling impact that that group of believers is having. We are so blessed to have that church among us. Lord, may that be true in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week I had the privilege of of, uh, being at a Christmas party for uh, a business that was run by one of our elders. And, uh, you know, I just, as I watched and observed, I saw how these employees loved their boss. There were probably 75 people there, husbands and wives. There were people that had worked there for the company for over 20, 25 years, which is also a, a real indication of character on the part of they wanted to work for this boss. But there were also college students there, guys that were just, you know, getting a decent wage so they could get through school. And you had all these different nationalities. And, but what I saw was, was the fruit of a man of character. Why we asked him to become an elder. Proven character. But I saw it with my own eyes. And I know that many of those people, I mean, they had fun. They were laughing. And, you know, I, I saw the joy on his uh, wife as she was dancing with their son-in-law. Couldn't get him to dance, of course. I tried to get into, you know, a pastor was up there dancing. But what I'm saying is this, you know, as each of us help each other to live godly lives, you see, that's the legacy. You see, we bless others when we do it the right way. And so you and I, as we scatter from here, we're going to go to businesses, you know, is the person you work for, are they blessed because they have you as an employee where you're worth more than you're getting paid? When you go to spend time with your family for Christmas, could be with the in-laws, could be with the outlaws, could be with whoever it is. But will you ask God to help you to have words that are words of character? To not just treat them the way you felt like treating them all these years, but to say, God, fill me with your love. Fill me with your character. May I be a representation of your love for my relatives, for my family, whoever I come in contact with. Well, God bless you. Merry Christmas. Let me pray for us. We can stand. We're going to pray. And we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that, Lord, you give us hope and purpose. And you give us stability in a crazy world. Lord, may we understand that even as common people, you have an uncommon purpose for us. If we allow you to develop uncommon character in our lives. Lord, may that be true. May that be true of our church. May we help each one to grow in godliness. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said... Amen.